contains the most incredible verses that give great assurance for the Christian. Great assurance for the person who's come to put their trust in Jesus Christ. In my experience, we need to regularly return to these fundamental truths because life is full of challenges and because we are aware of our own sin and our weakness and our failure. Our default is to rely on natural theology, which is to say we, we kind of develop our view of God by what we can observe and experience. That's natural theology. And so when the sun is shining and, and my family is well and, and no one is angry with me, and uh, you know, I had a pay rise recently, well, on those days, I think, well, God loves me. Look, everything's going my way. Obviously, God loves me. But what about when life is falling apart? What about when I'm in pain? What about when someone I love has died? What about when I lose my job? What about when I lose my temper? What about when I succumb to temptation? What about when I am a disappointment to myself and everybody around me? Well, what do we think of ourselves then in our relationship with God? Well, often we kind of just default to our natural theology and we think, well, clearly God is against me. God is angry with me. He's punishing me. He does not love me. And that's when I need to recall truths like Romans chapter 5. That's why we've been slowly working through this text. The great temptation of the Christian is to live his or her life by their subjective feelings. And that's a terrible mistake. I need to build my life on the objective promises and truth of God's word. And that's what we've been examining together. From the very first verse, we've learned that, that the person who has um, put their trust in Jesus Christ has been justified. They, they've been declared right with God. And so having been justified through faith, certain things are true. Objectively, now, Number one, we have peace with God. There's reconciliation. And secondly, my experience is one of now that I've gained access into God's grace. The whole of my life as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus is one lived in the sphere of God's kindness and grace. And thirdly, uh, I have this certain hope that my destiny is glory. I, I can exult in it. I can boast in it. I'm so certain in it that I will share in the glory of God. That's my hope. I will see his glory. I will become like his glorious son and I will become part of that glory. I will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And these things uh, so certain I can boast in them now, having been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. These are the objective, wonderful truths that we find in Romans chapter 5. And so, as definitely I have been justified, I will be glorified. That, that's what these verses are saying. But then we thought, well, what, what of the experience of suffering? 
How does that impact the life of the justified believer? And we saw last week that yes, suffering surely is part of the experience of every person living on this planet and of Christian believers. And yet, extraordinarily, when we might think, well, suffering is going to harm or damage the the faith of the justified believer, we discovered quite the opposite. It is actually the means that will strengthen their faith and secure even more a sense of this future hope. And we saw in verse 3 this amazing chain that that suffering, by God's grace in the life of of the justified believer, suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance uh, produces this character, this tested genuineness. It proves the genuineness of the faith of the person. And therefore, it secures and strengthens their hope. There is the chain that extraordinarily is true for the justified believer. And although that, that chain seems kind of harsh at one level, we saw him... Uh, the extraordinary thing in verse 5, that alongside that, the justified believer has the assurance of God's love. The spirit that was given to them at conversion continues to pour the love of God in their hearts as, they go, as we go through this experience of life, even with all its suffering and difficulties. And no sooner does Paul talk about the love of God that he has to expand on this topic I'm quite convinced that really one of our greatest needs as as Christians is to more deeply and fully apprehend the love of God for us. And a lot of our problems and struggles come because we forget this great love. And so I want to invite you this morning just to kind of meditate on these verses and begin to consider again afresh the extraordinary love of God but for those who are trusting Jesus Christ. Yes, there is this subjective experience of the Spirit pouring a sense of God's love in our hearts, but that is objectively demonstrated in history for all time in this event of the death of Jesus Christ for us. And so if you're struggling and you're thinking, I don't really have that sense of the love of God in my life, I would urge you to spend time meditating on the cross of Christ. Come closer to the cross of Christ. Till the incredible events of what happened there uh, reignite flames in our heart. Notice that God's saving love was emphatically proved when we needed it most. That's the first point of verse 6. God's love is seen when we needed it most. Look at verse 6 again. You see at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. It reminds us of the events of of the life of Jesus, our our historical events. It happened in, in history But also it tells us that these events that happened in history were all part of God's amazing plan of salvation. The Bible tells us elsewhere that before God even created the universe, he knew that his uh, created men and women would rebel against him. 
and spurn his love. And yet in his amazing grace, he, he worked out a plan where he would redeem and save rebel sinners. And God chose that point in history, which was just the right point in history. Uh, we've been learning in the evening as we look, look through the book of Genesis about the story of Abraham and God's dealing with Abraham and how God made amazing promises to him. And we've been seeing how those promises to Abraham really are, in a sense, unfolded in the rest of the story of the Bible, in his descendants and the, and the creation of, a, of the, the, the people of Israel and the amazing moment where um, Moses delivers the, the, the covenant at Sinai and the unfolding story of God is all there so that when Christ came, we would understand the love of God. The, the whole of the Bible is one unified story that centers on Jesus. It builds up to him, and, and in his coming, we just are unpacking the reality of what God has done for us in Christ. The whole of human history is building up to this point that at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There's another aspect to this timing, and it is quite simply this, that there was enough time in human history that it was absolutely crystal clear that human beings, that we cannot save ourselves. That we are utterly sinful and wretched and hopeless. Now, I'm, I'm, we're capable of some good things. Yes, yes, yes. But deep down in every one of us is the problem of sin. And we are incapable of saving ourselves. Even Israel, with all the benefits of uh, God's revealed law, all the ways they saw God at work in their lives, by the time you finish that the, the Old Testament, the first half of our Bibles, it's a story of abject failure as it looks like it's all collapsed in a heap. And reveals with all the advantages that they had, they were powerless to save themselves. And it's true of us. We're powerless to make ourselves right with God. Paul Barnett, in his little commentary, brought this to my attention with this, uh, noticing this repeated word in the original, still. When we were still powerless, when we were still ungodly, when we were, verse 8, still sinners. There's been enough of human history where we've, really never seen the, the moral improvement of men and women. Still ungodly. Still powerless. Still sinners. And at that point in human history where it was beyond doubt that we were totally lost and totally incapable of saving ourselves, at this point when we most needed it, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I don't know how you're feeling about yourself. Maybe you've walked in the door and it doesn't surprise you to think that God loves you because you think you're pretty adorable. And all I can say is that you haven't lived life very long and you're not very self-reflective. Or people haven't been honest to you. Live long enough and you realize that that is amazing that anybody would love you. Whether another human being, let alone God. But maybe you've come in the door and you're in a very different state. You, you've no doubt about it that you, that you think, I, I am, my, the story of my life is I'm, it's, I've made a complete failure of it. 
oh, I've messed it up. I've, I've destroyed and damaged so many relationships with the things I've done. I don't believe that I keep, can't believe I can still keep doing those things. And I've got a message of hope for you today. That God's love is shown by the way that he demonstrated it when we needed it the most. Jesus was regularly criticized by the religious leaders of his day for spending time with those that they deemed to be especially sinful and irreligious. He would eat meals and spend time with people who had dodgy pasts and questionable morality. And how did Jesus reply to his critics? Well, he said this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, my friends, this is such wonderful news when you've come to realize that you're one of those who are sick and sinful. If you think you're spiritually healthy today, well, Jesus has got nothing for you. Dr. Jesus will not be of interest to you. But if you have become aware how spiritually bankrupt you are and you realize that sin has enslaved you and that it's destroying your relationships and your life, that I don't want you to think today that that's disqualified you. Quite the opposite. The love of God has been proved that he loved us when we desperately needed his salvation most. It was precisely for powerless, ungodly sinners that Christ died. But notice, secondly, that God's saving love was shown to us by those who least deserved it. In verses 7 and 8. I mean, who do we love? Uh, listen to the radio this week and uh, the love songs on the radio and you'll soon learn who we love. Most songs basically go something like this. I love you because you're gorgeous, because you're beautiful. I love you because the way you make me feel. I love you because you love me. That's why I love you, because you love me. That's who we love, isn't it? We love those that we find attractive and, and lovable. Compare God's love to the best of human love. I mean, that's what verse 7 encourages us to do. Look at it again. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. You know, there's an upstanding, impressive person, a bit cold, a bit aloof. Would you die for that person? Rarely. Though for a, a good person, you know, someone who's likable, attractive, has been good to you, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Don't know whether you've seen that movie, Saving Private Ryan. It's a very powerful movie uh, about some American soldiers sent behind enemy lines to rescue the final son of uh, an American uh, woman, of a widow, uh, just to bring him out to save Private Ryan so that she would at least have one member of the family still alive at the end of the Second World War. And it's a, it's a dangerous mission. And a number of them lose their lives in the process. And one of the questions they keep asking is this, was Private Ryan worth it? Was he worth all this sacrifice and risk? I mean, who would you die for? Seriously, who would you be prepared to die for? Would you die for your friend? They'd have to be a pretty good friend, wouldn't they? Would you die for your spouse? Hopefully, hopefully you'd die for your spouse. 
What about someone who always disliked you? What about someone who kept ignoring you in groups, who who seemed to delight in saying malicious and slanderous things about you? Would you be willing to die for them? My guess is no. No, you wouldn't. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when we cared nothing for God, when we were rebellious against God, when we did the very things he told us not to do, when our actions were ugly and disgusting to him, when we were thanklessly taking all he had to give us but refused to acknowledge him in our lives, at that point, Christ died for us. And you see how utterly extraordinary is the love of God. How how it is greater than any human love. I mean, God's holiness is such that he has to punish sin and wickedness. We've been considering that in the opening chapters of this letter. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. But here's an extraordinary thing we're learning about this amazing God who created the universe. He is holy and he hates sin and wickedness. And yet he is a God of extraordinary love that still his heart reaches out to sinners. And God's love is, is, is not just something that he says. He demonstrates it in the most powerful way. By sending his only son. Not only did God demonstrate, you see, his love when we needed it most, but he demonstrated his love when we deserved it least. This is one of the great fears, isn't it, of, that we have as, we, as people get to know us, as we get to know other people. Um, it seems that people want to cultivate on social media, Instagram and Facebook and the like, a perfect image of themselves. And uh, the great risk in relationship as people get to know you is, well, can I let them get to know me? Because if they really knew me, would they still like me? If I'm falling in love, you know, and, I, and they really got to know me, would they love me? Well, here's the most extraordinary thing about this God who created you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've thought. He's known your deepest and darkest desires and his holiness hates the sin and yet he loves you isn't that amazing he loves you when you're at your worst he loves us Someone's put it this way, that the gospel of God both reveals that I'm far worse than I'd ever imagined, but at the same time more loved than I could ever dream. Now what assurance that gives us, even as we become aware of our weakness and our guilt and our shame. There's something in us that wants to hide from people because we know what we're really like. Uh, Mes McConnell uh, who's a pastor in Edinburgh and uh, at Nidri Community Church. He's written a new book. I, I pre-ordered it. I don't think I was supposed to have got it. It's supposed to 
be launching in November, but I, it came yesterday, so I sat down. I couldn't stop reading it. I finished the book. And, and it's a book called The Creaking on the Stairs, Finding Faith in God Through Childhood Abuse. Rosario Butterfield says this on the front, the most disturbing book that I've ever read. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And I think that sums it up. It is, it's awful how we can treat children. And the experience that he went through, the abuse he suffered, was absolutely awful. And yet, extraordinarily, he describes how he, can, he came to see and know the love of God in his life. It's been utterly transforming for him. But of course, the impact of growing up in such an abusive home was that it created a very angry, violent young man. And uh, he, you know, he medicated through drugs, engaged in crime and violence, and eventually in prison before he heard the gospel. And when he became a Christian and got out and started going to church, he writes this in, in, um, on this chapter on grace. This is what he says. What if people found out what I was really like? What a liar I was. What a fantasist. What if they realized that I had done some truly awful things in my life? I thought about a lot of my victims over the years, the people I stabbed, the homes I burgled, the drugs I had sold, the frauds I had committed. I dreaded people who knew me in the past coming into the church to expose me as a charlatan. I used to have nightmares of all the people I ever heard coming to a church service and sitting there listening as I told them of my new life in Jesus. I could see their sneers. I could hear their jeerings. I could sense the anger, hostility, and cynicism. What a joke. A lying rat like me, hanging around respectable people and pretending to be a Christian. It sounded ridiculous to me, and I knew I was genuine. Then one day I discovered these verses in the Bible. Romans chapter 5. Verse 6 to 8. I discovered that Jesus didn't just die for me, but he did it knowing just how ungodly I was. He saved me when I was at my weakest, when I was at my least desirable. He saw me at my worst and still saved me. He did not reach out to me because he saw redeemable features in me, like my fantastic sense of humor. There was nothing lovable about me. There was no good. Instead, his own love compelled him to do it. The sense of freedom and relief this passage brought was profound. No, people in church did not know what I was truly like. But Jesus did. Yes, people I had hurt could sneer and question my motives, but Jesus had still died for me. Thirdly, notice that God's saving love is now forever proven. Look at verse 8 again. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Christ died for us. You know, on a, on a wet day in Edinburgh, and there'll be one sometime this week, there normally is, you've got nothing to do, switch off the TV and meditate on verse 8. It is full of such profound theology and pastoral gold 
Just consider what it tells us about our doctrine of God and the divinity of Jesus Christ. How can it be that the death of this man in history, Jesus of Nazareth, demonstrates the love of God? How can that be so? It can be only so if the Jesus who is truly man is also truly God. So that what he does demonstrates to us the very character and the essence of God. And this becomes explicitly clear when you get to verse 10, that it speaks of us being reconciled to him through the death of his son. So who was it? Who was this Christ who died? It was God the Son. Now meditate on that. This is surely as glorious as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The Christ who died for us was God the Son. The one in whom God the Father was utterly delighted. The one who was most worthy. At his baptism, heaven declared, you are my beloved son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God gave the very best of heaven for us. The worst. This Christ, this Sinless, perfect man, the one who was infinitely precious as God the Son, sacrificed himself in the place of sinners. Christ died for us. Now, we, we read those words, we skim by it very quickly. He died. The, the Apostle Paul has already made this absolutely explicit, what he means when he says, for us... In Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet all are justified, made right with God freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This death was a redemption. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Christ willingly offers himself in the place of sinners this, Romans 3 says, shows us the justice of God. God has to punish sin. But incredibly, in God's plan of salvation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, enact this plan where the Father sends the Son and the Son willingly comes and he stands in the place of guilty sinners so God's wrath is poured on him, God's justice is met, and so that we can be forgiven and, and made right with God. Romans 3 says it's about the justice of God. Romans 5 tells us it's an amazing demonstration of the love of God. When did you last look closely at the events of the cross? Sit down and read one of the gospel accounts. I think it was reading this book yesterday as Mayor McConnell spoke of um, the abuse he suffered. Um, Sometimes he was stripped naked. Sometimes he was humiliated. Sometimes he was beaten. He was tortured as a, as a little boy. It's horrific. But Mez has come to see that what Christ did for him, Christ experienced far worse. 
He was stripped. He was mocked. He was tortured. He suffered. He died. Christ, God the Son, died for us. Do you see that the cross of Christ proves forever God's amazing love to justified believers? Did you notice the surprising tense of verse 8? We would naturally say in verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love because he's talking about an historical event that Christ died on a cross. But it doesn't say that, does it? Look again at verse 8. God demonstrates it's present and ongoing. You see, God continues to prove his own love for us in the present by what he has proved in the past. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Throughout our lives, we will know times of great joy, but we'll also know times of, of tears and tragedy. We will experience illness diseases, death. We will experience violence and opposition. We, we may know heartache and loss, but for the believer, whatever my circumstances, whatever the subjective sense I have of the love of God, it is proven beyond doubt that God loves me. Every day he loves me. Look back to the cross of Christ. Is, is beyond doubt. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, it'll say in Romans chapter 8. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The great Welsh revival of 1904 was a revival in many ways that meditated on the love of God. And the great hymn of the revival was this, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember. Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Christ died for the ungodly. And if you're trusting Christ today, you can say this. Christ died for us. Christ died for me. Can you say that? Are you trusting and relying on Jesus Christ and what he's done? Oh, my friends, there's such assurance. There's such love. There's such certainty. The hope of the glory of God is ours. Why don't you trust him today if you're not doing so? What amazing love. God's love when we needed it most, when we deserved it least, and forever proven every single day. Let's pray.